You're listening to Trek FM. This is Steve Sansweet of Rancho Obi-Wan, and you're listening to the 602 Club. There was a little bar in Mill Valley where all the Starfleet trainees used to go. The 602 Club. You know it. <laughs> I was there more times than I can remember. Welcome everyone to Trek FM's local watering hole. We are back here for the 69th episode, almost to 70. I cannot believe we have come so far, so fast. It's been a great ride, and we are just going to continue that ride. It's going to get fast and loose. We, uh, you know, might be back in black. Who knows what's going to happen? Uh, basically, hey Ruby, can you please turn down the ACDC? Okay, thank you. Sorry. Uh, she's been really excited because we're going to be talking about Iron Man two. And so it's been ACDC all day. And, I mean, I love ACDC, but there's just kind of only so much of them I can take uh, at one time. But um, I'm excited to have the Marvel Posse back. Uh, before I get them introduced, just want to remind everybody here that if you don't know, we are part of the Trek FM network. And you can find all of the shows, including the 602 Club, on iTunes at iTunes.com slash Trek FM. You can also find us on Twitter at TrekFM. We're on Facebook at Facebook.com slash TrekFM. If you would like to send us an email contact form just to, about what you think about the show, maybe something you would like to hear us talk about, go to Trek.FM slash contact. You can even leave us a voicemail. Look in the sidebar on the show page or go to SpeakPipe.com slash TrekFM. You can find all of that at the website at Trek.FM. And then, of course, we have the listeners-only discussion group, the Babel Conference. It's a great place to have the best discussions about everything online. Uh, you just want to type Babel in the search field on Facebook or click Discussion on any of the menu bars on any of the show pages at Trek.FM. And so, like I said, Marvel Posse is back, Andy. Welcome back to the 602 Club. Thanks. I'm excited to school Daniel on Iron Man. Oh, goodness. Well, I knew that I had to have you two on because, you know, obviously Daniel is the the Iron Man fanboy. Uh, well, and, and I try to stay out of it, but uh, me and Andy, we're the Cap people. Uh, we're Team Cap. He's Team Iron Man as we go into the Civil War era. Daniel, represent Iron Man. So glad to have you back. It's okay. I mean, I know you guys, you have the numbers, but but I'm right. So really, I kind of have the advantage here, even though it might not seem it at first glance. Keep telling yourself oh, that. Goodness. All right. Well, it has already begun. I feel like we are in political season here uh, <laughs> on the 602 Club, uh, talking about who's right and all that, as if that has anything to do with movie reviews. Uh, it's all uh, what we think, what we want to talk about, and goodness... Um, this movie is, is is an interesting one for the MCU in general because uh, when it came out, you know, uh, The Incredible Hulk, it had been lackluster for them. We talked about that with Mike here on the 602 Club, and we actually really enjoyed the film, and, and we recommended that everybody see it. It's actually a much better film than I remember. Uh, unfortunately, the, the public at the time didn't think that, and Marvel was really hoping for another hit, so it gets John Favreau back, it gets Robert Downey Jr. back, and they're going to launch fully into the MCU because they've figured out what their plan is going to be working towards the Avengers, and that really makes Iron Man 2 kind of this transitional film with a lot of moving pieces. So for you guys, 
going into this one and seeing it, you know, for the first time and even rewatching it now, how does it feel to you? What do you think, Andy? Um, yeah, I mean, it's definitely transitional. I feel like I don't feel like it covers a whole lot of new ground, but there's a ton of stuff that happens in it. Um, they they bring in Black Widow for the first time. They really start to set up the Avengers. Um, so there's a lot of storylines going on here and a lot of the connection that we're going to get into the other MCU movies start happening in this one. So, yeah, I mean, we start getting hints of Thor. We start getting hints of Cap. We start getting hints of the entire Avengers crew and we get Black Widow. So, I mean, Iron Man 2, considering how maybe that's not my favorite movie of the MCU, really does set up a lot of what is to come. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, like, and we'll definitely get into this, and I'm going to state this this statement over and over again. Uh, but what I think is important to remember is that the way that Marvel handles their movies, it's a super thin line, like between doing it right and between doing it wrong, between doing it just enough or too much. So and I'm sure we'll compare this movie to Age of Ultron, uh, or maybe even go on the other side of it and compare it to something like Guardians of the Galaxy or Ant-Man, where we can show examples of a movie that is involved in a universe, but does it, but, but just does it just enough where you can recognize that it's part of the universe or too much where it's bogged down by what it's a part of. And to me, this is an example of Marvel trying to, to discover that line because they hadn't really gotten that point yet and they hadn't perfected exactly where they wanted to be. And so I recognize that there are issues with this film, uh, but I give them a, 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 quite a pass on it because this is still unprecedented territory at this point. It is a, a movie, like you said, Daniel. It is trying to figure out how do we incorporate the universe but not have it overshadow the film that we're making. And uh, I think you make an apt comparison that... Uh, this is kind of maybe the first misstep with that that it doesn't it doesn't quite all gel the way it should and that is very evident uh in Age of Ultron where that movie they have shoved way too much into it and i think you you were saying this earlier and just not a lot feels like it happens in the movie yet there's a lot going on but it doesn't necessarily feel like super consequential and Iron Man 2 does kind of have that problem, especially because uh, they shoved Scarlett Johansson in this movie and her character is absolutely meaningless to it. Like, she doesn't do anything, there's no reason for her to be here, and she's taking away screen time from, well, a character you should be more focused on, like Pepper Potts, in that relationship with Tony, and just let her have all the stuff that she's doing, except for, you know, the ass-kicking scene, which, again, just watching the movie last night, that whole scene has no, like, it doesn't have anything to do with the rest of the film, and you could have changed what she does in that, that, that scene where she reboots Rhodey's suit to somebody else. You could have rewritten it to be somebody else where it wouldn't have had to have been her and you wouldn't have had at least five minutes on screen taken away from everything else that's going on, plus all the other times that she's filmed. I love Scarlett Johansson 
and you can put her in anything and I'll watch it. But speaking just as a movie person, it just it was one of the things here as we're talking about this. It just you're cramming too much in and you're making John Favreau have to work really hard to put things into the movie that don't service the storyline of, of Tony Stark. And, you know, when you're doing the the Marvel's uh, heroes films, the, the movies suffer when they're not truly about the character. Like I would say uh, the, the, the hallmark, obviously Iron Man, but then like the way that Cap 2 is all about Captain America um, and everybody else supports him. They, they, they hadn't found like they just hadn't found that line yet. And it, it doesn't work as well here. It's so funny that you bring up Captain Captain America two to to, uh, to compare to this because again, I, well, I'm just surprised first of all because the Black Widow stuff didn't bother me at all. In fact, I liked it quite a bit. Um, that was one well, of the I'm better. Not saying ways. I don't like it. No, no, no. I'm I saying I, it's but irrelevant it, to the. It it doesn't. It's it's not helpful to the film to have her in there, other than the fact that you just have to shove her in because you want her introduced before you get to Avengers. And that's true that's of the all the Shield agents, the to be honest. As much as I love Clark Gregg and as much as I love Nick Fury, they brought them in to solve problems that could have been solved by existing characters. And I mean, why does Nick Fury bringing bring closure for Tony Stark for his relationship with his father? I mean, that's shoehorned in as well. I mean, I don't feel like I feel like the shield stuff is in there for MCU purposes, not for this movie storyline purposes. Now, that being said, I sure like watching Scarlett Johansson kick ass. Um, and I sure like Car- Clark Gregg, you know, smacking down Tony and giving him little sassy one-liners. Uh, so it's enjoyable, but it's it kind of goes to the heart of the problem of this movie, which is too many storylines um, and not a cohesive narrative that goes through out the whole thing. There's just too many heroes in the kitchen, <laughs> is what we're saying. <laughs> and and uh, you know, yeah. It, but to me, I wouldn't have even dropped the the Scarlett Johansson, the the Black Widow, Nick Fury stuff, especially not the Agent Coulson stuff. I, oh my goodness! I, for for if for no other reason than their lovely exchanges that they have, and what happens, of course, in the Avengers with with. Uh, with Clark Gregg. I mean, it's so important to that film. Well, but he's also, I mean, he's in a lot more in Thor. I mean, he plays a much bigger role than Thor, so you don't have to have him in this film. Right, but I think that his, well, I mean, his death impacts Tony in such a way that he starts to, at least in that one pivotal scene, Thor's Thor's gone off the helic. This is way too into... Avengers, I think, where I'm trying to get. <laughs> what I'm trying to say is uh, um, that those aren't the scenes that I was like, this is too much, I guess is my point. I would agree with that, actually. Um, I'm just saying that this is the, the S.H.I.E.L.D. agents are enjoyable, but when you're putting them up against so many other competing storylines, they have to pick one or the other. So if they had chosen S.H.I.E.L.D., I think that that could have worked quite nicely. But it's just that they're competing against a couple of other storylines that I think are superfluous. Yeah, so I think we're actually on the same page there, Daniel. I don't want to. I don't want to lose my Black Widow stuff, and I definitely don't want to lose my Coulson stuff. Especially because the way she's introduced is super cool, super effective, and like sets up her character in a way that we wouldn't get otherwise. 
you know, so I, I do. I like the fact that we get to see her be spy Natalie. And, like, it's cool. And, like, sh- oh, she knows Latin. Nobody speaks Latin. It's a dead language. And then she's just, like, out there doing her thing and, like, impressing. I, I don't know. I just I think it's it is a cool way. I, I It's not necessarily super important to the plot of the film. But uh, if we were going to lose elements of the film, I would definitely pick two or three other things before that. Well, and my point, though, is is that, I mean, just take Iron Man 1. You know, obviously it's an origin story, but it's also tightly focused and there isn't a lot of extraneous material. And any time that you start to make a film and you start plugging things in that are kind of fun, but they're not necessary to the plot of the movie, you to connect with other things, you, you start to lose the cohesion. And I think we all are agreeing that there's a lack of cohesion in Iron Man 2 that wasn't, you know, that didn't happen in Iron Man. It definitely isn't even in uh, Incredible Hulk, and that we don't really see that kind of lack of cohesion again until Age of Ultron, where, again, they're trying to put too much MCU stuff in and not just focus on the story at hand with the heroes. Um, So I I think that in the end, the question of does it's all connected kind of hurt this film I think it does because it can't just tell the Tony Stark Iron Man story it needs to tell which you know it revolves around Tony his father uh, his relationship with Don Cheadle and his relationship with Pepper those are the four main relationships in this Uh, his tangential relationship with S.H.I.E.L.D. is is something that you can cover in you know the end credit scene Anytime you're not focusing on, I think, one of those four relationships, you start to lose what we were talking about. So I love, again, Black Widow being in the film because I love Scarlett Johansson. She's an, I think she's an incredible actress. I love the character of Black Widow, but I, just, I don't think personally that she really fits well enough into the film to take away from what probably could have just been better story elements. But if you guys don't want to take out Black Widow, who? what would you take out to kind of make this work better? I would start with the Palladium subplot. Yeah, the Tony is sick, and his but father invented a... Doesn't that kind of, like, drive the whole Tony well, story? It, it does. It does, in could, a way. <laughs> but you could easily replace it with, with whatever. Honestly, uh, I agree with that. That's my first thing. My first thing is, like, Tony is sick, and he's got to have... His his father from 30 years ago created a new element that just sits on a map and just sits like that was ridiculous. I honestly was not connecting with the Tony and his father storyline. I just say get rid of Howard Stark out of the entire film. Again, you would have to rework it in such a way. I would rather see the Black Widow, Nick Fury stuff than Tony and Howard Stark. And I know it's, thematically it's kind of important, especially considering what happens with uh, and we'll talk about Mickey Rourke later, um, but I don't know. I don't care. I mean, it's that one scene where he's like, "Oh, uh, I'm proud of you, son. You're the best thing I've ever created." Like, is not. But a, I never bothered to tell you in the moment. <laughs> yeah. I just left you uh, some film in care of Shield, and you yeah. happened to find it at exactly the right time. And oh, look, this old model just seems just like thirty years later, still chilling in Pepper's office. It's got all the answers for you. Like, I agree to, with you, Daniel. <laughs> to suggest that Howard Stark was actually this model parent, or maybe not a model parent, but this great parent behind 
all of his busyness and busy. I don't know. It just it takes away from the Tony character for me. Actually, it doesn't actually add anything. And I'm just like, no, I just nope, nope, don't care. I like the fact that Tony is a, a self-made hero. He doesn't need. It's fine that his father was brilliant as well, but it's he doesn't need this. This isn't helping him. We don't. We can just drop it. Just just drop it completely. Well, I I I, th- I think that I mean, like you said, the them- the thematic element of the legacy of fathers is the core of the film because it it pits the hero against the the villain, and because uh, you've got Ivan Vanko and his father, uh, you know, both involved in kind of hating the Starks for what they think they did to them, even though they the, the Starks didn't do anything to them; they were just protecting. Uh, their investment in these uh, this technology and and trying to keep it out of the hands of anyone in the black market. So I think though that's a really that's the core element of the film. If you take that out, you don't have a movie. I don't really know what you you would be writing towards. And and so I feel like if you had actually just taken the other stuff out and then strengthened that storyline, it would have been helpful. I agree with you guys that it comes off a little quick and not as important as it should be, but that's because they're having to cram all this other stuff in that's taking time away from the soul-searching that Tony is supposed to be doing. And I will also say that, you know, growing up in a in a household where I watched my dad's father... Uh, and my dad learned to not be super emotional towards, you know, each other. And then to me, that makes sense that Howard Stark doesn't know how to talk to his son and share those feelings, especially in that time period. Uh, you know, many of those men who came back from World War II weren't known for being the most emotionally open people. Uh, Howard Stark might not have been all involved in the war, but he definitely saw enough of it and I think was just emotionally reserved enough to not be able to really pass that on to his son. And that's, I mean, I I completely disagree with you guys. I think you're both wrong that because I feel like that's the core of the story. You focus more on that, you get rid of the other stuff, and you have more time to just make that a better storyline. And I think that's what got that's what's missing is that being stronger you're right it's not as strong as it should be so it feels like it should it's kind of superfluous but it's actually the core i think the main problem is you're seeing there are so many themes in this movie that what you're seeing as the main theme the 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 theme of legacy, which is definitely there, is not the main theme that I see. So, the, like the main th- theme that I see is who controls power, and how how do you um, like the the military industrial complex, and who should be in charge of that? And like, there's there's so many threads here. There's so many themes that that makes all of them weaker across the board. Right. No, and I I agree with you too because that's a huge theme. Uh, those are the I, I would agree with you, Andy. I think those are the two main themes of this film. But I think that, again, having to do things just to service the greater whole of the it's all connected is is taking away from those two things, because I think those two things are are intricately connected. Those two storylines are intricately connected. But I mean, I mean, I'm even wondering, though, I mean, 
in this scenario where you would remove uh, Natasha from the the and Nick from from the movie, how would you even address that more? I mean, the, the you know Howard is dead. There's there's not much more we can. I mean, what, in what way would you be able to push that to the forefront? Honestly, I would agree that yeah, it's it's actually especially with how this movie is is set to set up War Machine as well. I I would actually think that the Tony versus uh oh my goodness what's his name Rhodey the Tony versus Rhodey theme would be more interesting and 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 kind of more compelling because both of those characters are alive and both of those characters are interacting with each other and that maybe maybe if if you wanted to sacrifice that secondary storyline for that that would to me I would get that but I would, I just to me it's the the father son stuff is just like Eh, no, I just to me, I to me, it's just I just don't care. Just don't care. Well, and I think I don't know. Then what do you care about in this movie? Because you just took out the emotional core of the film. Like, what do you even care about this movie then? No, no, like, no. That there's means, nothing no, to care about. Tony though. only cares about that for two scenes. Again, I, no, again, I agree. No, this, this no, film... no, 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 no. I think because Tony is clearly worried about his own legacy. Sure. And what he's going to leave. And he doesn't know, he doesn't have any idea how to handle that. So he he just self-destructs. That's all he knows how to do. But well, he also self-destructs he's because dealing, he's dying. And we've well, agreed yes, that we but can I'm get just rid of saying, that. But it's not just that he's dying, but it's this that what's going to be his legacy. Yeah, I mean, okay, here's the problem. Too many themes, too many storylines, no agreement on what should be focused on. So, like, what we can't agree on is that there's too much. What we can't agree on is what could be removed. It's like, Daniel and I are like, keep the shield stuff and then focus on this other theme. And Matt wants to keep the dad stuff. Like, so the, the problem remains. The problem remains that we don't even really have a clear villain because you've got several villains. They're setting up Vanko as his main you know, antagonist, but the whole thing's watered down by also having him be against the U.S. government in Senator Stern, and then also, you know, corporate competition with Hammer. So, like, you've got you've got all of this diffusion of not only your themes, but your villains, and even, you know, your emotional relationships. You already pointed out that a lot of what the, the S.H.I.E.L.D. agents did could have been done by existing relationships within the you know the movie i agree with you completely that pepper doesn't get enough to do um and it would have been nice to see pepper be more involved with bringing tony back from his breakdown than giving it all to shield because we want to see their emotional relationship strengthened at this point all they really do is fight amusingly so, I mean, I really, I would really love to see that relationship deepened in a much more meaningful way, and we just don't have enough room for it because there's a million other things going on. It's frustrating. Well, I think that the, yeah, I think the argument, too, that we're having is the same argument that kind of ha- probably happened behind the scenes yeah. about what do we leave in? What do we take out? And then it was just like, oh, screw it. We don't have enough time to worry about it, so we'll just put this on screen. And that's why the movie does kind of feel like a muddled mess because there is no focus. And, you know, if there's anything that I've learned about film after watching a lot of them is you can tell when a movie doesn't have its focus. 
you know, um, and you tend to like those better. You know, Daniel, we talked about um, Deadpool last week, and regardless of whether I liked the film or not, it has a laser focus. I mean, laser focus. So, um, and it, that's maybe a little bit easier to do sometimes when you're doing the origin story, but uh, I think it's also really important when you're doing the second film in the series. You know, it's not just about being bigger and louder and all of that in the sequel. It's about really growing the character. And I feel like they couldn't figure out how to make all this work to really grow Tony. And I, for you guys, you know, Tony's growth here, doesn't it feel like a little bit of a repeat? Yes. Like we're just repeating the theme of yes. Tony being prideful and... yes. This is my main problem, actually, with Iron Man in general, is because I feel like he learns the same lesson in every single one of his stories. That's what I feel like. I feel like he, that the growth he makes in Iron Man is is immediately taken away and then redone in Iron Man 2, and then in Iron Man 3, and then in the Age of Ultron. That's... So you're saying he's just one big suit of hubris? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's over and over again, Tony making a weapon and then not being able to control the effects of the weapon and then making a bigger weapon and then not being able to control the effects or like being arrogant and then being humbled, but then being arrogant again just to get humbled again. Uh, that's my main problem with, with Tony in general. And then if you look, and I'm really not trying to make this a Civil War thing, but if you look at the way that they do Captain America, you can see that the second movie is doing a totally different thing for the captain. He is facing totally different problems. Oh, Daniel, I can see you. You're like, you're like so ready. Okay, come at me. Come at me. Bring it. First of all, I do, I do want to say one thing. And this is this is just going back for just a comment or two. Um, you mentioned that uh, who is the main villain here? And you mentioned Senator Stern. By the way, uh, Senator Stern, an agent of uh, of Hydra. Which is uh, really which cool. Which won't play out for like 300 years. I love it Which though, Marvel has it, a huge problem that, with doing. That whole Senate scene, so much more interesting. So- I love that because you're like, not only he wasn't trying to get tech for the U.S., he was trying to get tech for Hydra. It's brilliant. (laughs) I love that. But it doesn't it doesn't help that you don't know that now. Like it it doesn't. No, it doesn't hurt. It It actually only helps to me in my mind. Like I can watch that that scene and be like, oh, he's just he's just kind of a dick. And then I can watch that scene in uh, Winter Soldier and be like, oh, my. Oh, wait. Oh, I see what they did there. That's really yes, cool. Yes, I like it because it works within the movie, and it also works within the MCU. Like, if you never find out that he's Hydra, it still works. But if you do, then it just adds all these extra layers to him coming back. And yeah, no, I love it. I love it so much. But anyways, I'm glad you brought it up because I certainly wasn't going to let it. Uh, I didn't want to go the whole podcast without saying how cool it is that he he's Hydra. He's Hydra, so cool. <laughs> but uh, but anyways, as far as uh, th- this idea, first of all, I mean, I, to in my mind, and of course, and all of the listeners know, and and I don't have to tell you guys, I'm an Iron Man fanboy, and it's apologist. a dangerous place in your mind. <laughs> so uh, you know, I'm gonna side with on that side probably 99 percent of the time. Um, Tony Stark is a narcissist. I mean, he he has a text 
book narcissist. Yeah, he can learn his lesson, but this is a fundamental flaw of his personality. It's, it's okay to revisit these themes in different ways. I think it's really unfair to compare Captain America's situation in Cap 1 and Cap 2 to Iron Man 1 and Iron Man 2 because Iron Man, or excuse me, Captain is in a fundamentally different place in those films. I mean, he is 80 years removed from his timeline. He is, and, and he is not shown to be a super flawed person in the beginning to, to start with. It's not like we're like... Well, no, no, I think that's, uh, oh, again... This is a com- completely different subject, but I'll just tackle it for real quick. That's one of the cool things that, and it's very interesting about those two characters. Cap is, from beginning to end, somebody who has a complete moral core. He's like the Obi-Wan Kenobi of the MCU. Like He, he has an unshakable moral core. Nobody else in the MCU has that. Everybody else around him has shades of gray. Cap is is black and white in the very best of ways. You know, um, he is a classic libertarian. You know, he believes in freedom for all. That's what drives him. And when you try and take that away, I mean, that's what makes him such an interesting character in a world that's full of nothing but gray and, you know, insane narcissists and weird scientists and all that. He's just a guy who believes in right, wrong, and God. And I think that that is actually probably what Daniel is driving at, that he doesn't have enough flaws to make him in- interesting. Um, and for me, I on paper, if on paper, Captain America to me is incredibly boring. Um, but in execution, the way they have contrasted that those aspects of his character with you know his antagonists. And the way that they've explored it has been super, super interesting. But I can see how one might prefer a character that doesn't have such a clear-cut motivation. Because it could, it, it's much, most of the time, if you have a hero without a, you know, a discernible flaws, they become very flat and very boring. And and let me totally clarify here. Uh, my f- absolute favorite superhero is Superman. So the same argument that people le- levy against Superman all the time, uh, which I disagree with in that case, I disagree with, or I levy in a lot of ways towards Captain America. Uh, so I'm kind of a hypocrite in that way. But I, I, <laughs> well, I uh, at least he's admitting it, Andy. We got him. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a different situation, and 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 I guess my point is that Captain America in in the first and the second films, he's defined by his circumstances. Where in Iron Man, where Tony Stark is defined by his who he is, his personality, and I guess there's, that's kind of two two sides of the same coin, uh, but the, it's more like Cap is learning to adjust to the world, where Iron Man himself has to adjust him. I don't know. It's 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 a slightly different thing. So to me, it's not. Yeah, I mean, if you look at, especially as I do now, and especially as we can in hindsight. If we look at Iron Man's, uh, his total arc from Iron Man 1 up until even now, Age of Ultron, I think they are telling a really cool, a really interesting story. And yeah, he's learning the same lesson over and over again. But I mean, how many times have we as people have to learn the same lesson? You know, we're not perfect. We don't get it. Oh, no, I agree with you. I think it's realistic. I just don't think it's that fun to watch. (laughs) 
uh, what what was interesting in this film was 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 Tony asking a similar question but not quite the same question and again as we talked about the 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 payoff isn't quite as strong as it needs to be because they didn't find a way to really bring that story to the forefront in a way that really captured you uh because of everything else that's going on and you know um you know yeah him having to make a new element and everything it's just it's so fast and quick like he literally says, oh, that was easy. And we, the audience goes, yeah, way too easy. Um, I know you're Tony Stark and one of the smartest men alive, but that's ridiculously easy. Uh, so it, it just, I think even just the resolution to it all feels so quick and like snappy. It just, it, the resolution to an emotional problem for a character and, and, a, and a physical problem like that shouldn't be the snap of your fingers like the snap of his wit. And that's what it comes to in this film. And that's just why I think we all agree. It's just uh, frustrating because we know that there's a better movie in there. It just feels like they never coalesced as to what that better movie was. And they threw this up on screen. And you know what's frustrating, too, is when I was rewatching it, I realized that I actually like most of the moments of this movie. Do you know what I mean? Like, I like a lot of the scenes. It's just that they don't fit together in a narrative that is interesting to me. So, like, there are there are lines that I love. There are scenes that I love. The actors are awesome across the board. And it just never quite all fits together in a complete story. It's like they put together a, a bunch of little cool moments and just, like, put them next to each other. And that's really frustrating because you really can. You can see a great movie in there and it just doesn't quite ever get its feet, I guess. Um, Going back to Daniel where you're talking about how Cap is in a completely different like physical place, not just mental place. Like they they push him forward 80 years. That's going to be a rich topic for character development. That's kind of what I wish that they would do with Iron Man, not throw him into the future, but put him in a different place. One of the reasons why Iron Man one works is because they spend a lot of the time taking him out of his element, dropping him into a place where he has to rely on just himself, not everything else. And then like seeing what he does in that situation. I would love to see in both Iron Man 2 and Iron Man 3, this doesn't happen, right? I would love to see... Oh, no, 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 Andy. I'm sorry about that, but Iron Man 3, that's all they do. They take Tony out of his no, element no, no. and that's his suits. That's not what I mean. And... <laughs> what I mean is I would like to see... And that's actually the the whole Iron Man 3 storyline where he actually goes off the grid is the best part of that movie. I would just like to see it more often because he relies so much on his wit and, you know, his money and, you know, his pepper, really. Um, I just... <laughs> his pepper. Yeah, yeah, I mean, like, I would just... Little salt, I think little it's pepper. more interesting, and all of the best Iron moments for, Man moments for me are most interesting when you take all that stuff away from him and, and, like, strip him down. And they don't do that to him in this movie, really. Yeah, I mean, I, I understand that. I, I do have to agree with Matthew that I think that's literally the entire point of Iron Man 3. No, no, so no, no. Kind of, I, 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 I agree with you. That that, yeah, I mean, that section of that movie is my favorite part of that movie. But yes, I agree with that. 
I do want to, because, gosh, we could, like, keep mired in this, talking about all the different and the films and the way they're impacted because it really is this this film it starts it it's all connected and it all starts to really uh create uh an interesting albeit sometimes warped uh tapestry um that doesn't always quite fit together but uh you mentioned something andy that i i thought was right on is that everybody is uh then the, especially the new characters too they're all acting really well. everybody's on fire in the movie you know nobody's uh, you know, bring in their C game or anything like that, and put Sam Rockwell uh, in everything, please. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's he's great. So Don Cheadle replaces Terrence Howard as Rhodey in this film, and uh, so I guess this ensues the battle of which Rhodey's better. Don Cheadle. I mean, I don't. Yeah, yeah, I would say it's Don Cheadle as well. Yeah. Wow, no fight. <laughs> no, I mean, We're all going to agree because I'm with you too. I, I love Don Cheadle's performance. I think uh, he really works well with Robert Downey Jr. And not only that, but um, I, I think that when he's giving the quippy lines back, I believe it more. You know, like I, I feel like he is just more of that type of character who can be a foil in a good way. Like he is like Tony without the narcissism, but you know, he's, he's dedicated. He's, uh, he's willing to put himself on the line when he needs to. Uh, he's just not a narcissist about it. He's also an um, establishment guy. Exactly. And he has, but he also has a really quick wit as well. So you put the together, them two together and it's kind of a little bit like oil and water and they they just they rub off on each other really well. I, I, I like the interplay between those two. Um, you know, I, I like them when they're in their suits together. And I also just like them, um, you know, when they're on, on screen uh, talking to each other. And I, I think it's it's really well done. And of course, it's a it's a comic book movie. So if you're friends, you have to fight at some point just because you have to. Well, yeah, even if you're not friends. I mean, and in every Marvel film, I feel like they've all the heroes fight at least once. You know, uh, Avengers, they'll fight. Guardians of the Galaxy, they fight. Age of Ultron, they fight. I mean, any time the team gets together, you fight each other. Uh, so, yeah. Ah, oh, goodness. Terrence Howard um, is an excellent actor, but he has a tendency to be inconsistent. Um, so, like, mm -hmm. if you yeah. have... If you have Terrence Howard in the right role and he's being directed well, he is amazing. I feel like in Iron Man, he's a little bit flat. And then with Don Cheadle, the reason I prefer Don Cheadle as an actor is he's both consistent and he has like a steady quality to him that I think is really important for Rhodey because Rhodey is supposed to balance Tony. So Don Cheadle for the win. Yeah, that's a good. That's a really good point, Andy. I, I completely agree with that one. Um, we talked a lot about her character, you know, just uh, whether or not she should have ne necessarily been in the film. But I, you know, I'm a huge Black Widow fan, and what she does do in the film, she does so well. I mean, uh, her scene in the hallway where she is just ripping through those guys one by one with little to no sweat is impressive. Uh, and I think throughout the rest of the film, any time that she's there, Scarlett Johansson is just a winner of an actress to me, and she just sells me on this role, as she does with just about any role that she's in. So 
Uh, I think they made the perfect choice for Black Widow, and it's just a shame that they have never allowed her a bigger part. Um, probably one of my favorite parts of Cap 2, honestly. Yeah, I mean, she's, she's, in there. she's a great uh, she, foil for both Tony and Cap, actually. Um, she brings out interesting things in both of them. But I just have to say that one of my favorite things to come out of Iron Man 2 is that we get a chance to see Black Widow's fighting style for the first time, and it's very unique and very... I mean, you see her make some of those moves or variation on those moves for the rest of the MCU. And I love that consistency in her fighting style. And this is the first time we really get to see her just let go and kick ass. It's awesome. Yeah, I mean, she, yeah, she's she's awesome. Um, she's she and I like I like I mentioned before, I really like the fact that. We don't really get. You know, we get snippets of it in the other films, but this is her spy. She's a super spy. This is her infiltrating uh, a known organization. We're not aware of it, of course, in the beginning of the film, if if you don't know what's going on. And she's literally infiltrating Tony Stark's organization and kind of, and she has all of these skills and she's amazing and all these different things. And you're like, what's going on? And then, and then you see this whole other side of her and it's super badass. And it's just awesome. It's just, I mean, it's awesome all around. There's nothing bad about her appearance in this film. I like how she so effectively manipulates Tony. Yeah. Well, <laughs> that's pretty easy when you look like she when does. She, when you look like her, yeah. yeah. yeah Tony true. doesn't think about a lot of things, honestly, especially <laughs> when it comes to women. I love, uh, I just, he's and it's so, kind it, of it a is, misogynist in that And it's way. almost perfect, too, because like it's a great matchup of, like, I love their first interaction. Well, when he sees her for the first time and he's like, oh, who's that? I want one of those. And it's yeah. like, and he doesn't realize that this, this woman could kick your ass three ways to Sunday, Tony. Like, you can't, it's not how it works, bud. Sorry. I just like that his womanizing and the way he talks about and to women backfires on him so completely when it comes to Black Widow. Um, because I really needed that comeuppance to happen. Um, not gonna lie, especially since one of the other female characters we see that comes back from Iron Man One is the Vanity Fair reporter, and he's so rude to her and so dismissive. And I just, I'm so glad that Black Widow got to be like, <laughs> "You're a jerk." <laughs> Make him look silly because uh, that needs to happen more often. I do think that he was mostly rude to her because of her uh, association with. Someone I'm sure we're about to talk about uh, with Hammer, but uh, yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I'm justifying it, but yeah, he is actually kind of a dick a lot of the times to these kinds of people. To women specifically. Women to women, yes, to yes, women. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I'm with you, Daniel. Though I, I think that that scene plays out on just on, mul on multiple levels because it's more about Sam Rockwell's Justin Hammer than it is her, but also making like snidely commenting on oh she's just after this story with him now the same way she was with me and implying she's whorish and it's and really course, really yeah rude it's so rude oh yeah uh, and uh, the other thing too is the fact that he is using her as both of them are using her as like a trophy in their personal like competition the whole thing is gross so yay black widow but uh, Pepper even joins in, too. I know, and I don't like that either. Yeah, I, I, was I, I mean, like, how dismissive is she? And one of the reasons why that bothers me is, like, you, you have a, a, a limited amount of women. It would be nice if we didn't have one of the other women cutting 
each other. Eh, anyways, the whole idea of female competition for men is all over this movie because you also have some jealousy going on between and competition going on between Nat and Pepper. So it's just bah. It's a theme I see repeated throughout this movie. And actually, to be honest, throughout Iron Man, he has a tendency because of the kind of character he is, he has a tendency to kind of personify that hyper-masculinity um, when it comes to women especially. I don't know how Pepper puts up with it, to be honest. Well, sadly, Pepper is in love with Tony Stark. <laughs> Poor Pepper. And, uh, love covers a multitude of sins, they say. So, uh, And with Tony, it's a multitude. Uh, <laughs> But uh, no, Sam Rockwell, uh, you know, he can do just about anything, and he does in Justin Hammer. Uh, and he it, he's aptly named because he hams up every single scene he is in so much that if he, if he just inched it a little bit, and I'm sure some people might think this, but it could be too much for some people, but he is the perfect you know, a corporate D-bag who only cares about money completely. Like, and and a good mirror in a way of showing us what Tony used to be like completely. I mean, I feel like this was just Tony two, three years ago, you know? Uh, And, you know, Tony's has been reformed in some ways about this idea, like his company, we're not going to make weapons anymore until we can control where they're going, that kind of stuff. I mean, like, Hammer is exactly who Tony used to be. And I, I, I that's an interesting mirror to have. And, and Sam Rockwell kind of play him with even um, more cavalier attitude towards death and destruction, which I didn't think was possible than Tony being like, you know, that's how dad did it. That's how America <laughs> does it. And it's worked pretty well ever since. You know, I mean, you didn't think it could get any more bravado. Sam Rockwell brings it up to like a 25 yeah, but the thing that's so awesome about Sam Rockwell is he he plays it hammy, but he plays it as an aspect of the who Justin Hammer is. So like you get the sense that Justin Hammer is hammy, you know, like he um that's that's who he is as like a character. So it becomes less about the acting and more about a character choice. Um and it's really hard to do that. It's really hard to go over the top and still keep it within the re- realm of believability for a character. I totally believe that there are men like this. (laughs) Okay. Like there are definitely men like this. Um, and I just, he's so, he's so enjoyable to watch, like just completely throughout the whole movie. Uh, Basically every time he's there, especially when he's interacting with Mickey Rourke, I just, it's delightful. I mean, it's just like, you want a bird. Okay. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, he gets to dance. I always want Sam Rockwell to be dancing always throughout every movie he's in. You know, uh, I w- it's, it's surprising to me that the hamminess is what, what, what stuck out in your mind, Matthew, because there's one or two other characters, possibly two, definitely at least one, uh, who kind of also played up in this movie, and I'm sure we'll get to them as well. Uh, and also the fact that, of course, there are a lot of similarities but when I watch this film, I'm not thinking of of the Justin Hammer character as Tony Stark. And I see the parallel, like the Tony Stark three years, or like the pre-Iron Man one Tony Stark. And I get that. But I'm actually thinking of the differences between, like, 
this is this is a Tony Stark totally devoid uh, of morality, totally devoid of charm, totally devoid of any sort of redeeming quality at all. Uh, and I actually only see the differences when I see, like he. Oh, this is a man who who is almost good enough, who's almost smart enough, who's almost funny enough or or charming enough to be interesting, but he's just not there. And he's like a hollow Tony Stark. You know those like hollow Easter bunnies? You know, <laughs> you, you, you bite into those chocolates and you're like, there's nothing inside. No, <laughs> that's kind of what he is. He's that's that version of Tony Stark. That's such a perfect metaphor for him. I love it. <laughs> no, he's like, he's Tony Stark if Tony Stark were incompetent. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. It's <laughs> so like when he... Um, and Daniel and I were actually talking about this when he gets up on stage and is trying to hype everybody up and the crowd's like, yeah. and then Tony just shows up and they're on their, they're like, yeah, Tony Stark. And he literally does nothing but like land on stage. It's so well, great. But you know, the last time I, to, to, to give it to Tony, the last time that he was on stage, he also had Iron Man cheerleaders. So <laughs> I'm just saying, you know, you bring cheerleaders to something, people cheer more. Uh, Except for he didn't bring it the second time. He just he he literally just comes in and stands on the stage. <laughs> and Justin Hammer has spent the last like five minutes doing like this big hypey speech and trying to get everybody riled up, and they're like, no. Nah. There's like three people clapping in the audience. Yeah. <laughs> it's he's Tony Stark without any charisma or competency. It's, I love it. I, I do think, though, that it's it's interesting because um, because when you do look at Hammer, I, I I at least I I see the Tony from earlier, and I can see how much Tony has grown. You know, we were talking about character growth and development for Tony, and by seeing Hammer you get an idea of just how different Tony is from when, you know, even the beginning of Iron Man, the first one. So I, I, I think Sam Rockwell plays that character in such a, a douche with a suit way <laughs> that you really do feel the, the difference of who Tony is. And yes, he's still struggling with those demons. I mean, this story was meant to kind of mirror in the comics his alcoholism storyline, which is so big in the comic series. Uh, they weren't going to go there with alcoholism being, you know, uh, this Marvel thing, and uh, that that's a little bit too dark for what they were going to do. This is even before they were owned by Disney, but uh, this is meant to mirror that, and I think it does a, it does a good job of just showing us uh, where Tony's come from and where he is now, and he is a different guy. Um, even if they haven't completely <laughs> so much uh, done a, the best job in the films of making that really come to fruition. Um, well, Mickey Rourke had come off a huge hit with The Wrestler, and he could do no wrong at this point in his career, and so they brought him in as the villain in Venko. And I, I do have to say, I feel sorry for Mickey Rourke because he has absolutely nothing to do in this film other than to pretend to speak Russian uh, badly and kind of beat up on Tony a little bit and then, you know, get taken out. That's it. I mean, like, I, he just really doesn't have a meaty role. And this is where I feel like the whole legacy of the fathers and sons and stuff would have helped if you had developed some things more, maybe given some more flashbacks or something to, to Tony 
his father, Howard, and Anton Venko, and all that kind of stuff, built that stuff up more so that this villain had more to do because he just, you know, I don't know, revenge plots are kind of boring. And uh, he's just, he's, it's a, it's a the Marvel problem. And he's not as interesting a, as a villain as Obadiah Stane was for sure in the first film. He just feels like a lesser version of that, honestly. And the final climactic battle is very similar as well. And very quick. Like, they take him out, and they've already choreographed how they're going to take him out earlier in the film. So it's like, the whole thing is not a surprise. It's it's just like, oh, no, you're just going to do the thing where you put your hands out. It's it's terrible. It's really badly done. It's also an interesting problem. And I'm not saying that Iron Man 2 has this great vision, but... Uh, you know, we when we when when we watch comic book movies, we expect a formula, right? There is this ultimate bad guy at the end. Um, there, you know, maybe it's a revenge plot, maybe whatever. It's whatever. He he does what he does in this film, and I I, I actually agree that there should be more of it. But it doesn't necessarily. He doesn't have to be this scheming, ultimate plotting villain that has this super convenient goal for the climax of the film that he wants to come in and do all of this thing. He he's just he he wants to take Tony down a, a notch which he does two or three times in the film and that's it. Like it's not it doesn't have to be again, I'm I'm actually just being apologetic for the film honestly. I do agree. <laughs> I actually I do agree that he he is kind of a weak villain, but I don't necessarily <laughs> you know, it it is what it is. I actually like Mickey Rourke in the role. I think he does a really good job only because, uh, and I mentioned it before, I think he hams it up even more than uh, Sam Rockwell does. I love his Russian accent and the tattoos and he, I want my board. I want my board. I love it. Like, that is my favorite part of the entire movie is his obsession with his bird. It's it's fantastic. Uh, you know, it doesn't, but it, it it's fine. It's fine. It's not perfect. It's not even great, but it is <laughs> <laughs> but it, I, I, it's it's enjoyable to me. It's entertaining. Okay, so um, you remember when the three of us got together and talked about the crap fest that was Fantastic Four? Yes. Okay, so I do. I can't scrub that from my brain. <laughs> <laughs> so the end of Fantastic Four is like what this they they finish their final battle in like ten minutes. And that revenge plot really goes nowhere. So at least we can agree that although maybe structurally it doesn't work in Iron Man 2, at least you have some fun watching it and there are some fun moments while you're doing it. Like, I do dig Mickey Rourke with those giant, like, electric whip things. Like, that's that's just silly enough to make me like enjoy watching it and it's kind of visually interesting which considering that whole last battle is basically robots punching each other um i i will take anything visually interesting at that point um so it could be worse matthew it could be worse you could have to watch last 15 minutes of fantastic four again count your blessings (laughs) or any two minutes of that film (laughs) that's true too it is so true, and you're right. Um, but I, I don't want to have to compare it to something so bad and be like, "Oh, it's better," because everything is better I'm than just Fantastic Four. Out that I, and this is this is something that I really realized rewatching it is as much as overall I think the movie doesn't work. I do laugh out loud at moments, and I do have fun watching 
huge sections of it. It just doesn't come together in a story-like manner that I like. So, like, overall, I don't particularly like this movie, but I can watch it again. And that's, that is, like, that to me is the perfect, and we'll get to, I guess, you know, whatever when we get to ratings, but it's like, even a bad, and, and, and even Matthew, you mentioned at the beginning of the podcast when you rewatched Incredible Hulk, which to me is actually the weakest of all Marvel films, uh, wasn't so bad. So even the weakest Marvel film, even the one that has the most problems, all these issues, you know what? You're probably going to have at least a half good time watching the film. Uh, yeah, that's... I'll say this. I think that the problem to me is, and, and this is a problem with, uh, I would say, a majority of the Marvel films is they don't have a villain worthy of their heroes for the most part. Um, their villains are just kind of weak. And, you know, really good, and the saying goes, that a hero is only as good as their villain. And that is something that, um, you know, on a whole, superhero films, I don't think of any villains from Marvel in my head from comics or anything, I'm always thinking of DC villains because they're always better. Uh, they, they're always more iconic uh, and they're always more well done, at least for most of the time on, on a lot and their films. Come uh, on, man. You didn't dig Lee Pace covered in purple makeup. Oh, and he's awful. He a is awful. Around? Wait, awful. Wait a minute. Awful. Awful. <laughs> hold on. Hold on. Hold on. We, we can't go down this road. We, I, I want to, but we cannot. We, we, we just can't. They had um, a dance We will talk battle. about all Come the Marvel on. films, that I promise. And we can right argue there. about them all. But I just in general, I, I just, I think, I think if you look, at them, you know, and, and let's just look at the three that we've had uh, in, in the series so far. We had Iron Man, Obadiah say not bad, you know, and it's a decent plot, although his revenge plot against Tony is very similar to the revenge plot we get in the second film. That's the that's what I'm saying. It's just a lesser version of the second one. And again, it, it just it follows into that sequel trap. Uh, and then Incredible Hulk, I think, actually has a... It's an okay villain, but again, you know, it becomes the abomination thing, and, and as Mike and I talked about, he's actually more interesting when he's not abomination. He's just kind of really a super soldier fighting Hulk. Um, that's... It's, it, it, and it just... I don't know. I forgot about him. When you were, like, the villain of Incredible Hulk, I was like, oh, crap. Who is that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um... Well, I do. I do want to let's let's touch on quickly. Let's make it quick. But I, I do think Andy, you mentioned something that is is really important earlier, and it's it is one of the themes of the movie. The politics of safety, and the, you know, this whole idea of who's going to keep us safe and how we're going to be kept safe, and how that becomes a political thing, even though it shouldn't be a political thing because it's about safety. It's it's you know like. Why are we turning it into a massive political issue and, and it's happening in our real world? And then, you know, in this movie, too, you add this whole private sector versus the government thing and who's more inventive and what they're doing. So there are some really interesting things they could have talked about in this movie if we just had a little bit more time to deal with important stuff and not just like, you know, uh, things that are so important. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you know i just it, i just man do i love that scene i the know sentence. i know it's such a great scene but it just 
<laughs> it just doesn't work overall. It's no, like, no, no, no. You no. spend all this time talking about a bird. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm not even talking about that. I do love that scene. Uh, but I'm talking about the the Senate scene. Uh, that is my favorite scene of the entire film. It really is. And for a lot of reasons, uh, for the fact that it is, uh, uh, it is Tony Stark at his Tony Starkest, which is great, right? Who's not afraid to, you know, be himself in the face of this giant, in the face of the government, we'll say anyways. And, uh, and then I actually think that, and we talked a little bit about, uh, Senator Stern being, uh, Hell Hydra. <laughs> uh but then of course you know th- this scene maybe not specifically but i imagine the themes of it will will definitely be felt in civil war as well yeah uh, and i was actually thinking about that when i was re-watching it because i was like wow how does this how does this scene where tony is so resistant to the idea of the government having power over him how does that fit in with the stance he takes in Civil War? It's kind of interesting. Tony's a flip-flopper. <laughs> I think we can all admit it. Tony's a flip-flopper. Uh, we figured it out here. I wish That's you guys could see politics. Daniel's face right now. So, uh, <laughs> no, I, that is, I agree with you, Daniel. When I was watching that scene again as well, it is my favorite because it's the one that reminds me the most of a lighter version of what they end up going for in winter soldier but it's touching on those really important issues that that movie is able to bring to the forefront and then of course they just kind of brush them aside for the rest of the film here but that's a that is a great scene and it brings home so many interesting questions i mean um you know that uh, to me it was this whole idea too like do we do we hand the government more power to do things uh with power they really haven't earned from the private sector and can we trust or them do we it? just let the yeah exactly or do we just let the private sector do it you know like which one's really better do we want to hand over more power to the government for all sorts of things out there in the world um when they can't even deliver the mail well i mean come on um you know and and honestly i can speak from experience you know my wife was in the military she's still in the national guard and they there's so much bureaucracy involved in, in just the military in general. I mean, that's one of their main focuses is to keep us safe with with military. And they have a hard time doing that, too. So it's like, I it was a great, it's a great scene because it's bringing up all these questions. I just wish we had gotten the opportunity to deal with it more because I just, I, this is where the movie was saying something good and then it doesn't go anywhere. And I'm like, come on. And that's why I like Captain America best. Anyway. All right. Um, I guess I think, I think we're time for ratings because we could literally just keep going around the horn about all the things in this movie and how they connect with other things, uh, from the MCU. But I don't think that's fair to those other movies. We should talk about those, um, on their own terms. So, and we're definitely going to do that. We're going to be uh, talking about Captain America. We'll be talking about Winter Soldier and, of course, Civil War as it comes out. And uh, and then after, I think I think we're going to be actually getting to. We're going to be talking about Thor before. Um, Are you going to recuse well. yourself because so, you hate it so much? 
Uh, no, I'm going to watch it again. I'm going to give it another shot. I'm going to see how it goes. But, um, so yeah, we're, we're, we're trying to get through some Marvel movies here for you guys. And, and it's been fun to kind of have a reason to do it because we're working towards civil war. We won't get to everything where we won't end up getting to cover all of the stuff before civil war, like, uh, Avengers and guardians of the galaxy, Thor two and that kind of stuff. So forgive us. We just don't have the time to do that. We'll try to do as much as we can. And, uh, so all that aside, looking at Iron Man 2 again for you guys, uh, how do you rate this one? I actually like it more now. <laughs> I don't know if it's Daniel's I win! fault. Stop. I win! <laughs> but I actually like it more after this podcast because it really did remind me of how funny parts of it are. Um, I would have given it two out of five stars before, and now I'll give it three. It's... It's watchable, it's incoherent, but it's watchable. Um, the acting is good, there are a lot of great moments. It sets up a lot of cool stuff to come. I get to see Black Widow kicking a lot of ass. So, overall, I like it better than I used to. Alright, Daniel, what do you think? Five stars, go Iron Man! <laughs> no, no, <laughs> look, I'm reasonable, I'm reasonable. Uh... <laughs> Four and a half. <laughs> <laughs> Four and three quarters. Uh, yeah. No, 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 no. I, I'm in the same place. It's it is by far the weakest of of any film to feature Tony Stark. Uh, I'll say that. Um, actually, that's not true because Incredible Hulk had Tony Stark in it. But anyways, yeah. No, I'm gonna give it three to. I would say three out of five as well because, uh, you know, I, I mentioned it before. I, I actually do think all Marvel films are at least decent films they're worth watching and especially they're worth watching for the context of the greater whole and uh, certainly this film is because like we already mentioned maybe it has a little bit more of the whole than it needs and less of itself but uh it's it's good uh, there's there's a lot of good stuff to take out of it and uh you know there's some issues but we get to see I, I, what what i think is the start of civil war which is when uh, Iron Man uses uh, Captain America's shield basically as a, as a prop. He uses <laughs> it to hold something, a hold a piece of tubing up, uh, and and that's kind of what really sets Captain Rogers off. So, uh, yeah, just wait till we get to Cap uh, Civil War, and uh, Cap is using that shield to beat the crap out of Tony. <laughs> so yeah. Anyway, uh, this okay. This film on my list of of the MCU films is number ten. Um, which makes it the third worst Marvel film for me. Uh, actually, The Incredible Hulk uh, jumped up quite a few spots for me it, uh, in its rewatch. It just it held up better. Unfortunately for me, Iron Man 2 still has all the same problems I thought it did when I rewatched it. I, I just confirmed that. Uh, now, I will say, you know, Robert Downey Jr. makes this enjoyable because he is Robert Downey Jr., and he's being Iron Man, and I find that enjoyable. I like the character, actually, and so it works better for me than either of the Thor films do, at least until my rewatch. We'll see if that changes, but, you know, it's a three-star movie for me out of five. It's barely three stars uh, because it really does suffer as an actual movie. Uh, it's it, Andy, you said it. There's some kind of co incoherence, and it's just a frustrating, malaysish mess of a film. You're just slogging through it a lot of times, and scenes are enjoyable, but they're just not connecting 
fully in the way that you would hope to tell the best story for the main character. I mean, the the film is called Iron Man 2. <laughs> we we want to see Iron Man grow and mature and change and all those things, but that gets pushed to the side here for a lot of other stuff. And I I don't, as we argued a lot about, I don't know how you make this film better other than the fact that we talked about you have to cut something out, but what you cut out and how you cut it out. This film, I feel like it, it needed a complete rewrite and a rescript and everything. It needed probably six more months of, of you know, pre-production before they went into filming, and they, I guess, they just didn't have it because this, uh, you know, Favreau um, with Iron Man just knocked it out of the park. This is one like Age of Ultron where it just it there's there's too much. And uh, there is too much of a good thing for sure uh, when you just don't have that laser focus. But I, I really am. I'm so glad to be talking about these films and getting a chance to go back and watch them and and, and see if my mind has changed. You know, uh, especially these earlier films uh, here. Um, you know, it's five, six years ago now. So, you know, seeing if uh, my age, which I've gotten older... Uh, makes a difference too in how I look at films and, and stories and you know for uh, Incredible Hulk that changed I'm kind of hoping for myself that that could actually happen with um, Thor maybe uh, so crossing my fingers I don't hoping out a lot of hope but because uh, that symbol doesn't mean hope the hammer but <laughs> uh, we'll see what happens uh, I'm really glad that we got a chance to talk about this. Uh, I'm really thankful for our associate producers here through Patreon, Ken Tripp and Davis Grayson. They make sure that we get to bring the 602 Club to you each and every week. Now, 602 Club is part of the Trek FM network, as we talked about, and that network is a listener-supported network. And what that means is a lot like PBS, we need your help to make sure that the content keeps coming to you as we are a Trek FM. We are dedicated mostly to Star Trek, and we are celebrating the 50th anniversary in a huge way. We've got new shows that have hit the air this year, so we're looking through the entire run of Star Trek. All 700-some-odd hours of Star Trek we'll be covering on the network for you. Shows dedicated to each parts of Star Trek, the minutia of Star Trek. We've even got a new show on the animated series. I mean, it's fantastic. So help us out and make sure that it all keeps coming to you through patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Trek FM. We've got some special perks for you, so check all that out. We'd love to have you part of the team. Now, Daniel, Andy, uh, I'm so glad we got the Marvel Posse back. Uh, it meant we had some great fights between you two. Uh, I love it that we have our own Civil War every time you're on. And, uh, Andy, let everybody know where they can find you of course online and about uh the podcast you do here on the network yeah uh the easiest way to follow me is on twitter at first time trek um i'm live tweeting my way through star trek and then also also on the network i am one of the hosts of women at war awesome and daniel uh where are you online and of course i mean if, if you listen to the show last week you know you can find daniel but make sure that you remind everyone too about the, the podcast the little podcast you have on the network tiny minuscule i mean you're only on the hilton in space <laughs> well so. you know well yeah it's not that big there's only a thousand or so people uh, uh no we, i mean we only we only look like a hilton from the 80s i mean come on guys <laughs> exactly, exactly. 
Uh, no, no, yeah, of course, you can find me every week with my wonderful co-hosts, Darren and Philip, talking TNG all the time here on Truck FM on Earl Grey. And then personally, if you want to get a hold of me, Twitter is the best way. My handle there is uh, 1UpDan. That's the number one, not the word. Awesome, guys. Well, I, I really appreciate y'all being here. Everybody can find me on Twitter at MattRushing02. You can also find me doing The Orb with Christopher Jones, where we talk exclusively about Deep Face Nine. I'm on Literary Treks with Dan, where we're talking about the books and the comics of Star Trek, which is so much fun. We interviewed the authors as well about their latest books, which it's been a blast. It's been a great year so far, so make sure you check us out. I'm on a new podcast with my friend John Mills, where we talk about Star Wars, uh, just Star Wars. We pick a great new topic each week. It's called Aggressive Negotiations. We actually uh, have just joined the Nerd Party, so check it out at thenerdparty.com. And we're also on Twitter at the Jedi Masters. And goodness, uh, please make sure you check out all those things. And I, I really just want to say thank you so much for joining us tonight. And y'all come back now, you hear? harder.